Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of China Manufacturing Decoded. And today we have Frederick Grundwist from Compliance Gate on the show. And I've known Frederick for, well, I don't know, maybe 10 years, roughly, roughly 10 years when he was in uh, in, in Shanghai. Then he went to work in uh, Ho Chi Minh City and so on. Now he's in Hong Kong. Uh, we've been um, following what each other is doing for years. Uh, I think I was looking in the archives. It seems like it's the first time that you're on the ge- you're you're a guest on the podcast, uh, which is which was kind of surprising. So maybe first you can tell us a little bit about Compliance Gate, and then I will introduce the the topic of today's episode, uh, which obviously will be about product compliance. But uh, Frederick, uh, please go ahead. Give us a little bit of an idea about what you do and how you help companies that buy products. Yeah, you're, you're right, Renaud. It's 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 actually just a bit short of ten years. It's nine years. I think it was in 2014 we met up at a Starbucks in in Shanghai when <laughs> yeah. when I lived there. And as you know, my my background is in is let's say helping companies, mainly Scandinavian companies, with different quality assurance programs and you know implementing these in in in, in practice. I spent a lot of time. Uh, on factory floors, just like you did, and many listeners. And I found that uh, product compliance was a massive issue. Uh, when it comes to the theory, understanding compliance requirements, but primarily what it means to implement these in practice, what does it mean to make a product safe? What does it mean to get a product correctly labeled? What it means to verify compliance through testing and, and so on and so forth. And we created Compliance Gate, me and, and the co-founder of the company, uh, Ivan Malocci from Italy. And the basis was, how can we build a software platform that sort of breaks down the process into actionable steps so that an employee for a big company or be it an Amazon seller, an individual can log in and start actually working on the process, not just letters, not just the theory, but actually getting it done because compliance is really boring. Yeah, and and you help companies with not only EU regulations, directives and so on, but also US, right? These are the two big areas that, that you help them, you know, ensure that the products uh, are, are, are compliant. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. Uh, currently, the platform covers the EU and the United States. Right, right. Uh, okay. So today we're going to talk about the EU, the European Union's requirements uh, when it comes to the the chemical composition of products, uh, non-food, non-food products, right, that are put on the EU market. And they have banned over the years, uh, they, they have banned or restricted certain chemical substances, right? So maybe you can, let's start from a 20,000 20, feet view. Can you explain a little bit why some chemical substances have been banned or restricted to very low proportions of the products. Right. So I'm not a chemist. You would really need to ask uh, a chemical engineer for, or, or, or a chemist or a researcher as to, as to why do we restrict, say, lead? Why do we restrict DHP or other phthalates? Why is there now a drive to, to restrict PFAS chemicals, for, for example? But w- what I can say is that they're harmful for a variety of reasons. It can be, say, in the case of phthalates, these this group of plasticizers that, uh, for some reason, 
have a, a negative impact. Well, they, they are disrupting hormones and, and, and also the natural development um, children but we look at say sperm counts and so on in the world they they say that they may have dropped what is up to 50 percent that could also be for a variety of other reasons but there was a researcher from new york in in the u.s that actually commented on phthalates being one of the primary likely causes for this so it has a gigantic impact on hormones on 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 development on, on fertility then you have other reasons that can be because certain substances are directly toxic to us as human beings or to the environment or that because they cannot degrade. So this is why I mean, the EU has a variety of, of different regulations that apply to, say, consumer goods and, and so on that set right. restrictions or outright bans on such substances. Yeah, and over the years they have added more and more and more substances, right? In just in reach that um, <laughs> that that is a directive, right? The reach directive has a list of I forget maybe thousands of substances that have been found, or maybe are just sus- suspected of being harmful to people to to the environment, right? And we'll we'll look at some examples today, some some real examples of non-compliant products that have been caught by the the market surveillance authorities in the eu so that's going to be uh, that's going to be interesting let's actually let's go right into it i'm going to uh, share the screen so for people who uh, listen to this in uh, apple podcast or whatever you know podcast software that you use in the show notes you will have a link to the youtube video but we'll try to make it as descriptive as possible when we when we go over it so what we did is we went over the list of all the non-compliant products that have been caught in the past 12 months in the eu okay only for chemical uh, substances uh, types of issues not for other types of issues right there's a lot of different ways a lot of different reasons a product can be found to be non-compliant here we're only looking at product safety for uh, chemical composition reasons. Okay, so we have a list of hundreds of, of uh, instances here where products have been have been caught, let's say. Uh, so here, for example, I'm just looking at the first one so people understand it's, you know, what, what kind of information we get, what kind of information the, the, the commission uh, makes public. So the first one is uh, winter gloves, and they are made mostly in uh, soft plastic. So uh, Frederick was talking about phthalates earlier. That's a very, very common product. It's a plasticizer to make the plastic a bit softer, a little bit nicer to the touch, right? And, and in this case, the product uh, was caught because of, uh, of the presence of phthalates in relatively small amount, 1.05%. Uh, but still, that's already over the limit. Uh, it was caught in Norway. It's not even clear what the country of origin is. So that tells you something about the, <laughs> the labeling. It's probably also non-compliant. Who knows? I mean, it might come from within the EU. It might come from China. There's a lot of a lot of these products come from China. Some of them come from India. I see Romania and so on and so forth. Okay. And it was withdrawn 
withdrawn from the market. So in terms of uh, reactions from the authorities, there's basically, if it's already on the market, they say, okay, withdraw from the market. In some cases, even they say recall from end users. So end users already have it in their hands, uh, already using it. Maybe the importer and or the distributor have to organize uh, a recall. This is the most extreme. In a lot of cases, it's, see, it, it might be cut at the border, just rejected at the border. But in many cases, they just say, okay, you stop selling it, right? So either removed, uh, the listing removed from the online marketplace or stop of sale by the retailer uh, or a ban of the marketing of the products, right? These are the main, the main types of reactions. In some cases, they have to, they have it in inventory. They have to uh, repair it or destroy it. Okay, so these are the the the, the types of um, of reactions. Uh, and in this specific case, actually, the EU Commission explains the soft plastic material, blah blah blah, contains an excessive amount of a certain type of phthalates, a certain types of several types of phthalate type of substances. And then they say that they may harm the health of children causing possible damage to their reproductive systems. So that's really exactly what uh, Frederick was explaining, right? But there's a bunch of other items, uh, for example, jewelry items that have been caught uh, because of an excessive amount of cadmium. So uh, cadmium, chromium, nickel, lead, um, all of them are, are, are restricted, right? And it's very, very common in jewelry products to have an alloy or maybe a um, some kind of plating that will include some of these uh, restricted metals, right? And so on and so forth. So let's go uh, here. So for example, so here there are four, uh, four types of, of um, directives or regulations here that are related to the chemical makeup of products in the EU, right? Do you want to to go over them and, and give us just a very short explanation or, or context about them? Yeah, sure. So without going into, let's say, extreme detail about the actual scope here, uh, reach, you can say, it essentially covers all substances in, in, in consumer products or articles. An article that would be that would be this, that would be my AirPods, for example, right? So this is hard plastic, PU, PP or something like that. And and this plastic uh, should not contain, say, phthalates or other substances above above a certain limit. That's the point of REACH. That's why it exists. And essentially, REACH is, is, is as you said, is a directory of um, substances that either banned or restricted. It can be variations in terms of the restrictions that apply. So you should ask a lab for that. We'll get back to the lab procedures later. But REACH is really the big one when it comes to uh, chemical compliance in, in the EU. Because it applies to everything. It applies to textiles. It applies to plastics. It applies to whatever, really. That's 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 number one. Now ROHS, that's a so-called we call that a C marking directive, and it, it applies to electronics. Essentially, all electronics. There are some exemptions. It overlaps at least when it comes to the substances. I'm not sure about the overlap when it comes to the uh, to the exact limits. But heavy metals plus phthalates. I think that's what it covers. Uh, uh, it's a much shorter list. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a much shorter list. Yeah. It's much all electrical list. products, including exactly. electronics, of course. Yeah. 
And, and, and it has really, really, you know, RMHS is, is from the EU, I think, 2004. It has been adopted in mainland China. It has been adopted in India, in, I think, majority of the US states, in, in uh, Korea, and, and so on. It's really about restricting heavy metals in electronic waste. So what this means is that you have, you make products in, say, Shenzhen or, you know, elsewhere, electronics I'm, I'm referring to, uh, you have to instruct your supply to procure ROHS components rather than non-ROHS, although I believe it will become the industry standard in who knows, X number of years or decades. That's really where it's mm. going. So that's what ROHS is about, is for electronics. POPs, this is for, for certain uh, polluting organic substances. You have to ask a chemist why these specific substances are restricted. You have to ask a chemist or maybe the regulators why this is not part of REACH. Personally, I don't know why this is um, why this is a separate regulation. Actually, in many cases, when you deal with um, lab testing, lab testing companies they will they will bundle reach and POP testing together all in one. But it refers to uh, persistent organic polluting substances, I believe. I'm, I think that's that, yeah. that's what it stands for. Again. I don't know why that is separate, but that's that's essentially is also substance restrictions, but very often bundled together with reach testing. Toy safety, toy safety directive, it sets certain safety criteria for toys, and I think that's products with play value fourteen year olds or younger. Well, that's the age group anyway, and in turn. It also has a list of harmonized standards, and I think it's EN seventy one three or yeah, I think it's dash three that in turn sets certain uh, substance restrictions. Again, why is that not part of reach? I don't know, but it it's there, it exists, and it sets yeah. specific specific requirements because we're talking about children here, and 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 they may also put certain materials in the mouth and 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 so on. So I'm sure they have reasons for why they need to keep this separate. But as you see, uh, you can also overlap. And that's the interesting thing here. Let's say I'm selling, let's say I'm selling an electronic toy. I have to deal with all of them all of a sudden, right? Because then I take the age group and reach, well, because it's it's an article, it's a physical product, an ROHS because it's an electronic clown or, you know, whatever it may be, right? With lights and switches and so on. So yeah, one does not exclude the other. That's what I want to get to. Yeah, yeah. My understanding is toy safety... When it comes to chemical um, substances, kids and especially small kids and babies are more uh, vulnerable, right? So, and they might put stuff into their mouth and so on. So the uh, the, the restrictions are, are, are a bit tighter, right? That's my general understanding. Okay, so for example, we can see when we look at recalls, the products that have been recalled have been recalled nearly only for reach, right? That was was a bit surprised. So for um, this number of products that have been caught for, for example, POPs, right, persistent organic pollutants, most of them have just been removed from the market, listing removed uh, from e-commerce website, right? These are the main actions. Toy safety, one recall, but the rest have been just rejected at the border or um, stop marketing, stop selling, right? So it's not necessarily, okay, this is not compliant. You have to go all the way to record it from users and things like that, right? It's in most cases, it's you have to stop selling, except if, yeah, it's rich. It's something that they consider relatively uh, dangerous. And uh, maybe it's many, many times over the limit. 
then they pull the big gun out, let's say, and they say recall, right? I I, I haven't really found any sort of logic, I would say. Uh, I guess the different market surveillance authorities in different countries have their own logics also. So that, that's one thing. Now, people who deal with a certain product category might be wondering, okay, for me, what are the main uh, risks? You know, not really risks, I, I should not say that, but people dealing with my kind of products, right? Usually what, what happens to them? What, how do they get caught? Okay, let's say it this way. It doesn't necessarily mean you have no risk if nobody gets caught, right? But uh, here we're really looking just at the, 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 the special cases where market service authorities actually caught the product. So just looking at the in the in the rearview mirror, looking at the data and try, but don't extrapolate too much. That's the point. So, for example, if I deal in home textiles, people have only been caught recently for reach. Okay, which by the way is the majority. Reach is is is, is behind the majority of the detections, right? Withdrawal from market, recalls, and so on and so forth. Jewelry also only reach. Right, because yeah, what what is in the what is in the plating? What is, what is in the alloy? Okay, there's some heavy metals, etc. They don't need to go very far away. It's quick to to check with an um, uh, X-ray gun, and they they get caught this way relatively easily. Now, if we look at electrical household appliances, well, as Frederick was mentioning, there's also ROS, obviously, because ROS applies to uh, all electrical products, uh, nearly all electrical products, right? So ROS actually makes up a little bit more than the majority of the cases where non-compliant products have been have been caught in that category of electrical household appliances. There's also a good number of them caught for POP, right? Persistent organic pollutants. And both of them are more common than reach. So the market surveillance authorities, when they see Electrical household appliances will tend to the way I, I, I guess is that they will they will think okay th there's a risk with this product and we're going to test you know for example we're going to open up and look at the the welding we're going to see if there's lead in it right that's, that's an example but they have certain risks in mind and this will guide them the, does that make sense? I mean, yes, you, you do have different material risks, if this is what you're referring to. But I mean, if if we're looking here, a, a reason, I'm unsure if I misunderstood you now, but a reason that jewelry is all under reach is because you would not have to deal with, like RHS and the toy safety directives would not apply in the first place. Yeah. So, so they, right, right. They look at the type of product, they think, okay, what applies to this? And then they think, is this high risk or not? This is high risk. We're going to test it. This is probably the way they are thinking. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. I, I, I see. I see. I see what you mean now. Yes. I have been uh, discussing this question directly with uh, with market surveillance authorities. Well, in Sweden, mm -hmm. where I'm where I'm from, right? And many of them, for some reason, they they, they have offices in in uh, their government uh, departments in in my hometown, which is now an ironic coincidence. But anyway. Yes, there's a there's a major difference in in terms of the way they prioritize products based on based on the risk profile, right? 
there's a reason we don't see, say, watches here, uh, but we see long list of, of recalls and withdrawals uh, for, for toys, right? There's a reason yeah. that's being targeted because it's sensitive. The same thing can also be said for, for electronics. And, and they don't just look at uh, substance restrictions, but they are also looking at, at electrical safety. But that, that's a different story. Mm. Now, I have to say, I am a little bit surprised that this actually, the number of recalls seemingly fairly high when it comes to the same more generic products like jewelry and, and 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 so on, and I think that may not necessarily be because they target that because the market surveillance authority is targeted as an industry, but more so that there's a lot of issues because the uh, as you pointed out, uh, platings and and even some raw materials like zinc alloys actually sort of naturally contain substances mm-hmm. that will put it sky high above the limits. So. Mm-hmm. I think there are different reasons for why this graph looks the way it does. Okay, anyway, we're just guessing at why the market service oh, yeah. authorities cut these types of products for these, uh, for these regulations. Looking at the next one, instead of looking at, for my product category, what kind of mm. regulation or directive um, will, will, will cause me an issue, <laughs> um, it's more like, Okay, I'm buying, for example, bags. What type of substance is likely to get me in trouble, right? So, for example, for bags, uh, a lot of them are in uh, in, in plastic. Uh, then we go into uh, phthalates, right? And there's different types of phthalates. By the way, these 14, uh, I'm not going to read them, but basically you have a few uh, like cadmium, chromium, lead, nickel, and, and uh, metals, and then you have some, um, a few of them are different types of phthalates, and then you have azo dyes for, um, for, 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 for garment, like, like textile dyeing, right? That has to be dyed in a certain color and, and some other substances. But really, if we look at all the past 12 months, only 14 substances uh, have led to some kind of recall or withdrawal from the markets. That's interesting. So for example, bags, um, because a lot of them have parts in plastic, very often soft plastic, phthalate is a big one, right? Uh, same thing also for toys and juvenile. About, let's say, 40% also is, um, is oh, actually, no, if I add the other types of phthalates, it's maybe half of them, half of them, right? Then we have maybe 25% uh, lead, okay? And, and and some other substances. So this is interesting. Um, so how 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 would you um, how would you look at it? Uh, one way to say that is look, okay. We know this is why products get caught. This is good to inform the risk assessment, right? For my product, in my risk assessment, okay, I know usually, for example, home textile is going to be mostly phthalates, okay, actually only phthalates, looking back. Would you take that into account? What are the limitations of just looking at this data to, to predict future issues? Because I know you have some reservations about that. Yeah, so, you know, I, I look at compliance as, as you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in compliance with, say, you know, 
the reach regulation, what this means in practice is that we need to, it's what well, our customers at some point, they need to be able to demonstrate that, okay, we have a test report and, and, you know, it's, it, it doesn't really matter if they can pass just say the HP, but they can't pass, you know, say the lead or the nickel test. So what this is informing me is, is essentially what's, what is the specific risk in my industry? And the way I could maybe use this is by knowing I should thus remind my supplier that you must be you must make a reach compliant product and we'll verify that through testing and in particular you must also ensure that uh, the product does not contain this because that has proven to be an industry risk or a material risk is, is a better way to put this but I would not limit it to this if if you go to a supplier and you tell them oh uh, make sure the product doesn't contain cadmium and you only stick to cadmium they may make it cadmium free use cadmium-free materials to to be more precise that it contains lead, you know. It, not to mention that how difficult it is to to have a complete picture. We work with this stuff and, and I don't know all the rich substances. I can't remember the limitations. Maybe my coworker Ivan can, but you know, he's <laughs> he's a PhD, so it's a bit different. But anyway, the point is not to keep track of the individual substances. It's good to know, but ultimately you need to be aware that compliance is achieved on a regulation level, okay? So in practice, this means that you have to consider a package of substances. It can be misleading to only look at, at the individual ones. And, and we never really tell our customers that, oh, you need to keep track of every single substance under reach or even know which ones may apply. Because at the end of the day, the way this works is that you inform your supplier that they need to they need to procure materials to comply with, say, REACH or ROHS or EN 71-3 that's harmonized under the Toy Safety Directive, okay? They, then they know that. Then they can obtain the specific list, and they can then send this information to their material suppliers who, in turn, uh, will be aware. And they should also be informed that the products must pass testing. They Just like with quarters inspections, they must have an incentive, a strong incentive, something to lose if they do fail testing. So where this has value is that, okay, jewelry. I mentioned zinc, right? Cadmium. Zinc ore and cadmium tend to be in proximity for some geological reason. That's like an explanation here. A lot of brands, procurement managers and and individual entrepreneurs that design low-cost jewelry, zinc alloy, good quality and so on. And yeah, very cheap. They're not aware of this. I've seen that happen. So, you know, some materials are just naturally, naturally non-compliant. That's actually a thing. Whereas it's a good thing to know that, yes, when it comes to, to, to textiles, you don't really have the heavy metals risk for the most part. But yes, seemingly phthalates, I guess that would be coated fabrics or something. Uh, look at bags. Yes, phthalates, that's almost certainly PU leather and PVC. Um, and then we also have a little smattering here of blue. That's, that, that's heavy metals that uh, you can find on on. Uh, a residual from the uh, what do they call it the the, the process the, the tanning process for for authentic leather so you have all sorts of different risks you know and sure you know when you've been when you've been working with manufacturing like me for the last 12 years you've seen a thing or two and 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 you have like you have this understanding of okay what are we dealing with here is jewelry is washes is metals is alloys it's 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 pu leather is it's real leather and you will then have an idea of okay what could potentially go wrong here but mm-hmm. Look at the regulation, refer to regulations, because the risk is if you look at substances, you might overlook one or two substances or 10 or miss the limits. Mm. So, yeah, it can be um, 
it's risky if you go to that extent. That's what I want to say. Yeah. So you you already, you already jumped into my 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 next question, which is really as a buyer. Let's say I'm buying a certain product, and to 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 get back to your example, for example, you know something like earbuds. What do I need to know? What do I need to do to be compliant? Right. So I need to have an idea about the bill of materials. So that really informs the risk assessment, right? And I, I need to actually do a risk assessment. And then, yeah, and I need to understand what kind of regulations and directives this will fall under, right? Including uh, including ROS and REACH and, and, and some, other, some other topics. And then, as you mentioned, I need to make it very clear to my supplier Okay, this it needs to comply with these uh, these regulations. You have to make sure when you procure the materials, uh, you specify that also to your own suppliers. Uh, I, as a buyer, I also need to understand. Okay, my supplier, what is their ability to ensure this is compliant? Right? Do they have their own little lab? Do they do some of the testing and so on? Right. Uh, the problem is with chemical analysis, even uh, like an X-ray gun for the heavy metals will, or to confirm the composition of an alloy, we already cost easily uh, 40,000 US dollars. So, and then not even talking about GCMS and things like that. So it's quite expensive and most suppliers don't have that equipment. So, so then you need to arrange for testing as you mentioned, right? But let's take two steps back. I'm assessing a potential supplier that will make this product, right? Mm. So what what kind of things would you look at specifically to see if this is going to be a high-risk supplier in terms of compliance or if, if the risk is relatively low? So uh, if you look at it, you know, if you look, if you, if you read these regulations in many cases and, and you, you, you discuss this, you reach out and, and you call, say, the market surveillance authority or the consumer product authority in, in a certain EU country and you ask them about this, they may give you something, you know, very cryptic, like, oh, you shall definitely obtain the relevant documentation um, from, from, from the supplier to prove compliance and so on. That's, that's very much, you know, that it, 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 it would work in a perfect world. In a perfect world, all suppliers would have test reports for all materials for all products and all you would need to say do is to ask them to provide that for the say the the pu plastic for the uh, the metal parts and so on and thus you can then compile a little technical file with the different test reports in reality the problem is that the suppliers are not documented that's not just an issue in china but it's also an issue if you manufacture in Turkey, even in Europe, it actually hard, it's actually hard to get the documentation. What this means is that when you reach out to suppliers, what you can receive at best is pre-existing test reports that may have been for some product at some point, okay? Say a REACH test report, Wecotex Channel 100, or some toy safety uh, test report. It may be from, I don't know, 2021 or 2018, just something. What this tells me is that okay, this this company, this factory has at some point produced something uh, that that passed the test, and ideally, it's also a test report that's issued by uh, like alleged testing company like like Kima, like Bureau Veritas or Intertech, you know, some uh, testing company you've actually heard of before. So it's not some mysterious uh, company that's actually selling test reports. 
other than that, I also suggest you do an interview. That you make it clear to them that our product must be compliant to say reach. Now, this in turn requires that before this, you've actually made some sort of research assessment. You looked into, okay, this is my product. What's the age group? Where am I selling it? Um, and so on. And, and what, are the, what, are, what is the usage? Is, is it in contact with food? Is it a toy? Is it electronic? And as such, with substance restriction supply. But you need to take this information to the supplier and say, this is the list of different regulations that uh, directives that we believe apply to our product. Do you have experience manufacturing products according to the restrictions and the regulations and directives in the past? You may say yes. You may not be able to verify that, but that's the start. Then you ask them, we will need to arrange lab testing before we pay the balance payment, the way that you would tie, say, the result of a quality inspection to the balance payment, say 50 or 70%, or maybe even you right. know, letter of credit release, right, to the result of the lab test. This puts tremendous pressure on the factory in this case to be sure that the products they are making are compliant. Now, the very nature of manufacturing, and that's something that you understand, Renault, that when it comes to, say, the electronics industry or, or toy manufacturing, even apparel, they're not making materials. They are, they, they, they are not making the materials in-house. They are not in full control. They are buying this from a variety of, of material suppliers, component suppliers. They will need to forward this. This is why it's so mm. crucial to transfer the incentives to make a compliant product to the supplier. And this mm. must be done by giving them a strong financial incentive, whereas should testing fail, then they will lose money. So that's really the approach that we take. There is, it is not possible to use existing test reports for more than to determine if they have at least a track record. Then you interview them to understand, uh, do they themselves believe that the product can be compliant? It is interesting when you talk with a lot of suppliers say, you know, uh, here in Asia, it's enough to ask them the question, do you believe that your product can pass reach testing? No, I don't think so. Many of them are actually a lot more honest than, than you know, buyers in, in different countries imagine. Uh, they're way more honest than, than people imagine. And uh, the, a problem is that they're never really asked the question. So right. this is this Especially absolutely crucial. Directly in a meeting or face-to-face. -face. Yeah, email is a bit different. But if you ask directly, they, they can be pretty straightforward, pretty honest. That's true. And this is, this is, um, this is a very good point. Very good point. Uh, the supplier has to be responsible for it, accountable for it. They, ha they have to care about it. And then they will themselves think, okay, maybe I don't buy from that really cheap source of whatever metal or something. Maybe I buy from this other one. Okay, it's going to be a bit more expensive. But this buyer really needs the good stuff, right? <laughs> Not the cheap stuff. And if you make that very, very clear from the very beginning, and the suppliers know that and they count on that in their codes and everything, you really reduce your risks, definitely. Yeah, I think that's what you 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 meant, right? Yes, they they the incentive must be transferred. They need to you need to put pressure on them so that they put mm -hmm. pressure on their on, on their suppliers. More than a few years ago, I was working with this factory in Hangzhou, and and uh, we had we did this sort of supply screening, like uh, we verified test reports on behalf of a Swedish company. They were making these bean bags that was flammability, so it doesn't have anything to do with substances. And back then, I did quality inspections myself. That's before we started working with you guys. And um, I go to the factory and I ask them, so um, 
did you uh, ensure that this product is compliant with this flammability test, which you had clearly passed in, in previously, which was indicated by our due diligence work? And they said, no, Byron never said anything about that. So, you know, that, that, that goes to show that if, if you don't give clear instructions, it does, even if they have, you know, a perfect track record, if you don't communicate, you don't make it clear what you need, what must be done, then it won't happen. That's just how manufacturing is. I don't really think that's a China problem in that sense. I think it's more like that's just the way that people think in the world of manufacturing. You get what you specify. That, that carries over to compliance. Yes, yes. In China, maybe it's magnified because what you don't write doesn't exist, right? So you have to write it black and white. But I think, yeah, you, you made some great points about the role of procurement and supplier selection in, in compliance. So that that was great. Uh, actually, well, this is not just for uh, chemical compliance, but uh, compliance all around, right? So um, yeah, that that's great. Maybe we can catch up in another episode to to look at other aspects of compliance. But I think you did a pretty nice job covering uh, the ro- the role of procurement, right? Procurement for compliance. So uh, that that's great. Uh, where where can people find more about you? Uh, what is what is your website or if people want to to um, to contact you, go to compliancegate.com. Compliancegate, as in the gateway to product compliance, and book a phone call or just use the contact form, and we get back to you. Yeah, that's you can great. ask us questions related to yeah. reach ROHS. Yeah, anything really related to compliance. Well, not anything. We don't work with medical devices. We don't work with food and beverage. But if we consumer products, we can likely help you or at least point you in the right direction. Yes, yes. And I, I can attest to the fact that your tool is quite helpful in identifying the requirements that apply to a product. And it's not just about testing or, you know, it's, it's really all about including labeling, including, uh, you know, what goes into the packaging materials and so on and so forth. It's really very, uh, very wide. It tries to uh, to catch all the requirements that might come back to bite you. So, Thanks a lot, Frederick. That that was uh, that was pretty helpful. That was a good overview. I'm sure we'll we'll do some other episodes on some some other um, related topics. Thanks to the listeners. Give us a five star review if you have the opportunity. We always like to get some reviews and and some comments in your uh, podcasting platform. And you will hear from us again next week as usual. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T.com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.